everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. Today, we're back with the fifth entry in our three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic interview series. In this series, I am working with a wide variety of friends, colleagues, and professionals working in the film industry, largely in my backyard of Oklahoma. I'll be speaking with each guest about how the pandemic has impacted their line of work before talking about the three films that helped them get through it all. Today, I'm joined by Adam Chitwood, the managing editor at Collider.com and also the co-host of the Collider podcast and also another member of the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle. I'll be talking with Adam about how he landed the Collider gig while working from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the ways the pandemic impacted their coverage of movies in 2020. And then, of course, we'll wrap up the conversation by taking a look at those three films that got Adam through 2020. Now, before we jump into the conversation today, I just wanted to quickly note that if you really enjoyed today's interview, please consider leaving us a rating and a review and a follow or a subscribe on your preferred podcast app. It's the most impactful way that you can support the show at this time. Not only would a rating and review help out, but I'd also like to extend the invitation for you to participate in this particular series. You can email us your three films to the cinematropolis at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the cinematropolis or follow us on Twitter at the cinematrop. Send us your picks for a chance to have them heard on the show. Let's provide a little bit more information on Adam. According to his Collider author page, Adam has been working for Collider for over a decade. And in addition to managing content, he also runs point on those interviews, awards, coverage, and he also co-hosts, as I noted a moment ago, the Collider podcast, along with Matt Goldberg, which has been running since 2012. He's the creator and the author of Collider's How the MCU Was Made series, and he's also interviewed Bill Hader about every single episode of Barry and uh, the former there the how the MCU was made we'll actually talk a little bit more about that in today's interview whether he's talking to Damon Lindelof about HBO's Watchmen and its relationship to the Tulsa race massacre covering the Sundance or Toronto film festivals or giving you the latest and greatest recommendations on what to watch on any of the plethora of streaming platforms out there Adam is Something of a film critic hero, and I greatly enjoyed the opportunity to talk with him for the hour. Last thing I want to note here before we jump in, this conversation was recorded in mid-January before a few of the finer details about the current spring 2021 film slate uh, became a little more settled. So there's a few references to uh, releases in February or March or April. Those dates have already shifted in the time since this interview was conducted. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get into today's conversation with our special guest, Adam Chitwood. All right, everybody. Well, I'm so excited. We're joined by another very special guest. I'm thrilled to be joined by Adam Chitwood, the managing editor at Collider, uh, also the co-host of the Collider podcast, and another member of the Oklahoma Films Critics Circle. Adam, welcome to the Cinematic Schematic. Thanks for having me. It's early. It's mid-January, I should say, when we're recording this. So we did make it through 2020. Can confirm. How are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty okay. How about you? Overall, can't complain. Taking a day at a time and... Uh, Things seem to be looking up overall, so good stuff. For sure. 
Before we get to those three different films, I wanted to talk a bit about like the work you do. I mean, of course, you've been doing all sorts of writing, reporting, uh, podcasting, video interviews about film and television over at Collider for many years now. Uh, so a question I've actually always wanted to, to pick your brain on is how exactly does one land a full-time job for one of the uh, web's biggest entertainment websites right from Tulsa, Oklahoma? <laughs> uh, a lot of luck. Uh, literally just d- dumb luck. Collider was a website that... I visited and gosh, I think it was like it was fall of 2010, somewhere around there. Um, they posted they were looking for interns or people to write news. And I was, and I had always said, you know, growing up, my dream job, if someone could pay me to write about movies, I'd do that. But that's not a real job. Um, so I just sent off an email and got hired on as a news intern at that point and then came on full time the following summer when a position opened up. And have been there ever since. It feels like forever now. It's been literally 10 years at that website doing wow. that through all the ups and downs of of everything and kind of coming on. So this is 2010. So this was two years after Iron Man, but really at peak like Marvel Cinematic Universe superheroes, like everything was happening. Comic-Con was just turning into this huge thing. So it was really kind of a um, kind of like the land run for entertainment news at the time. Uh, all these smaller independent websites were bubbling up and uh, we're getting a lot of traffic from all that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because there have been many websites, I think, that, that kind of blew up about the same time as um, Collider. I mean, you have some that were like Collider who have been around before that, of course. You've got your IGNs that cover like gaming things. Um, but I also think of things like, uh, of course, The Verge uh, or The Dissolve was another one that popped up there for a couple of years. Um, a lot of inspiration for what we've tried to do here at the Cinematropolis. From your perspective, is there anything in particular that really sets Collider apart from what some of those other websites who, I mean, just other websites in general? but also maybe some of those other websites who didn't make it? Um, I mean, it's interesting. And we talk about this all the time at Collider. Um, so myself, Matt Goldberg, Dave Trumbor, Haley Fouch, um, and Perry Nemiroff. Really, we have been with the site collectively as a unit for, I think, at least eight years. I think the the newest person of that group came in around 2012, 2013. Um which is rare. You see like a lot of other sites and I have friends at a lot of these other sites. Um, but a lot of my friends kind of moved around a lot. They left this site, went to that site and went to that site. And it was just kind of the ups and downs of, of funding and um, you know, how these sites were run and stuff like that. But something, I mean, as a collective unit, we tried really hard to, and I think something that has made us survive as long as we have as uh, as a staff is kind of like an eagerness and willingness to pivot. Like we've been through so many different uh, eras of entertainment news of, you know, now Facebook's a thing. Now Facebook's not a thing in terms of like how to get traffic. And, uh, you know, now Twitter's a thing. Now Comic-Con's a thing. Now Comic-Con's not as much of a thing. And like finding new ways to kind of follow the audience or bring the audience along um, is, I don't know. We've tried our best in that regard. I don't necessarily think there's some, any kind of like secret sauce that we've had. A lot of it is luck. I mean, we we started out as an independent website. We got bought by a company. We got sold by that company back to an independent person. And now we're back at a company now. So there's a lot of ups and downs that you've seen happen at a lot of other websites. But, you know, through it all, we've tried to blend it, kind of our motto is like we're cinephiles and fandoms meet. So we've tried to blend the like we cover the Marvel stuff because that gets a ton of traffic. But we also will do deep dives on David Fincher or Paul Thomas Anderson, and that stuff also gets traffic. So trying to kind of have it both ways 
is a thing that we've kind of uh, pivoted into or or kind of leaned into over the years. Yeah, and, and one thing I really like about you know what, what all you guys are doing, and I one series in particular that comes to mind is the series. I think it was 2020 and 2019 kind of blurred together, but I want to say it was 2019, 2020. You had done like a really deep dive series on all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you were yes. posting like, uh, yeah. one a week or once every couple of weeks. And uh, I think um, what really struck me about that is it's really easy. Tons of websites write listicles and, you know, write, you know, the things that are going to drive traffic, as you say. But I, I, the one thing I like about you guys is you also invest quite a bit in those deep dives to find like the the story behind, uh, you know, the, the popcorn in the box office receipts, like what went into the making, what made that production interesting or unusual or special. Anyway, I just I just want to say I'm a big fan of like what you guys are doing over there. In particular, on that Marvel Cinematic Universe series, was there like any of those films, like when you were covering that series that stuck out to you, for example? Um, I mean, yeah, and that was how the MCU was made. And honestly, that was really easy for me to do because I have been doing this so long. So like I had the recall of like, oh, I wrote up the news story of when Patty Jenkins was going to direct Thor. And then I also wrote up the news story of when she left Thor. So there's a lot of this like these these smaller news stories that kind of get lost. Like, you know, now in hindsight, it's like, oh, yeah, like the Avengers. It was a big movie. But like I remember the like in real time reporting of like, the reaction to Joss Whedon being announced as the director of Avengers was negative. Like people were upset about it. And like, you know, our, my colleague at Collider wrote a defense of him, like as like, maybe he is the, or no, actually I think he write He, he wrote about how he's the, a bad choice to direct it and then wrote like a rebuttal to himself when the movie finally came out, uh, which was funny. Um, there wasn't really one that, I mean, the one I've always been fascinated by is Ant-Man because that's the one that went through the most production troubles. Um, and this was, you know, this has always been kind of an area that I've been um, more passionate about uh, is kind of like behind the scenes production stories and production histories. Um, and that's why, you know, Ant-Man in particular was interesting because that's, that's really the only Marvel movie that got as far as it did and then kind of exploded, which was uh, Edgar Wright was supposed to write and direct that movie. He got as far as casting. He had the script. Uh, you know, he had designed some set pieces, some of which are in the final film, um, and then parted ways over creative differences. And that's rare. I mean, you look at Marvel now, and they're kind of like they've got this special formula where it seems like you know every movie is a hit, but it wasn't without its speed bumps along the way. I think you do see a breaking point. Um, so it's when, and this may be a little in the weeds, but uh, so Kevin Feige is the head of Marvel Studios. He's essentially the showrunner of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's the smart guy who came up with, who helped shepherd the idea of this interconnected universe and is the one who uh, kind of oversees all of it. He was reporting to Marvel Entertainment CEO, um, Ike Perlmutter, who famously has terrible ideas and is not a very nice person. Um, and Ike Perlmutter had this creative committee that would oversee the scripts for the initial Marvel movies. This was in phase one and phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and give notes. Famously, they their notes on Guardians of the Galaxy was, why do you have to have all these songs in them? Can you take them out? Or can you do more modern songs in the movie? Uh, which you think in hindsight now, that's a terrible idea. The turning point was when Kevin Feige successfully lobbied to the head of Disney. Can I get out from Mike's boot? Can I run this by myself? Can you please just remove me from the situation? Because he's meddlesome. Like Perlmutter is also the one who told them they couldn't do Captain Marvel or Black Panther because no one wanted to see or buy toys about women or non-white uh, characters. Um, so that happened. And immediately the first few movies that came after that were Thor Ragnarok and Black Panther, 
which I think are two of the most like radically ambitious movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of structure and tone and theme, kind of what they're doing. Um, so that's a long winded way of saying like, you know, we look at this now as this kind of successful package. It wasn't without its speed bumps, but I do think there was a very significant turning point, which wasn't too long ago when they were able to dissolve that creative committee. Kevin Feige could like really kind of run the show by himself. And I think part of that now you're seeing with WandaVision, they're moving the television, the television space, um, kind of being untethered by people who are making bad decisions. <laughs> Uh, well, listeners, that is a little sneak peek at, uh, about some of the great things Adam is writing over at Collider.com. So I'm going to link to a couple of uh, particular pieces from that series in the show notes. So check it out there. Let's go back. You've, you've talked a little bit about like, you, you know, the really collaborative environment you have at Collider where it seems like you guys have all been working together for a long time. Could you tell me a little bit more about your, your specific role at Collider and maybe what your process looks like day to day before the pandemic? Um, yeah, I mean, it's different every day. I'm the managing editor. So I, I kind of, um, I have my eyes on everything that goes up on the site every day. So I'm looking at drafts of articles. I'm making sure this piece was edited. I'm making sure this piece is good to go. I'm also writing up news and writing up features on my own, uh, when I have the time, but just kind of like overseeing the, all of the content that gets released on the website every single day is kind of my role. You've talked about already how you guys have been, you were able to just pivot to follow the audience. Um, I mean, thinking about businesses and organizations or people working in the entertainment industry having to pivot in 2020, did anything change for your team, either both in terms of processes, but also in terms of the kind of content uh, you guys used to, you put up up on the site? Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty significantly, we just lost our plans for the year, which are usually, you know, okay, Black Widow's coming out. We'll do some deep dive editorials. We get a lot of traffic out of those. We'll do some explainers. We get a lot of traffic out of those. Um, you know, we'll have reviews and all of that stuff. And all that was gone. And that was supposed to happen all throughout the summer. You were supposed to have, you know, Wonder Woman, all these big movies that usually fuel that. You were supposed to have Comic-Con where you would get a bunch of news, uh, you know, a lot of interviews. Uh, and also set visits. Like we do a number of set visits where studios fly journalists out to the set of movies to do come some kind of like boots on the ground reporting. Um, and it's under embargo. You can't uh, release that information until the movie comes out. I'm actually sitting on one that will hopefully come out next year um, uh, for not like a massive movie or anything. But uh, yeah, we just started like writing about older movies, kind of like we we were looking at Netflix and like, all right, what's coming new to Netflix next month? Um, and kind of, you know, even pivoting into stuff that's super popular. So like Batman Begins or The Prestige. Anybody have anything new to say about those movies? And some people did. And we have a number of uh, staff members who are with us now who weren't with us in the previous, you know, eight years or whatever. So there's some like opportunity for fresh perspective there. Um, and some of those deep dives into older movies did pretty well. Uh, I was honestly pretty happy to see that our traffic didn't suffer too significantly. Um, we lean pretty heavily into streaming content. Uh, so like streaming recommendations, you know, we run a lot of curated lists of like, here's what we think are the best movies you could watch on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or Disney Plus. Um, so, you know, that stuff did pretty well. And there was a pretty significant period there when Hollywood shut down, when like the actual like news machine of Hollywood was just done. Like nothing was coming out because no one knew when any production was going to start up again. No one knew what productions would continue. Um, and as we've seen in the pandemic, uh, you know, a lot of shows have been canceled or productions have been canceled as those 
there was kind of a, a domino effect as, you know, as production started ramping up on things, suddenly you had an actor like The Rock who normally plans his schedule out three years in advance. And he's all of a sudden got this movie on top of this movie on top of this movie. So like, for example, for Dwayne Johnson, he was supposed to start shooting his big DC movie this summer. And he was in the middle of shooting a Netflix movie before the pandemic happened. So when production opened back up, it wasn't like he could go back into like, all right, we were supposed to do the DC movie in the summer, but let's start it now. Like we can start now. He had to go back and finish his Netflix movie. So that was happening with actors all over the place. Like they had all these schedules. They had stuff that they were in the middle of that was now changing. So that landscape of it made it a little tough to do a lot of reported news. Things are kind of uh, things over the last couple of months, things have kind of opened back up a little bit um, and are like thing like studios are now starting to get a lay of the land and, and get things back on track. But honestly, we just kind of pivoted into a lot of streaming, like stuff that was easily available to stream because that seemed like the what most people were watching. Like I know a lot of what I was reading earlier in the pandemic less so I would say in the last uh, three or four months, but was that a lot of these websites like what you're doing at Collider was there was a loss of marketing dollars there that had historically been there just because marketing budgets um, for, you know, businesses of any of all sorts of sizes uh, had to get cut just while everyone was trying to figure out exactly how to manage the pandemic. Uh, Is that something you guys saw at Collider at all? Um, That question is a little above my pay grade, but I can't, I mean, I will say yes, like ad dollars across the board were way, way down. Um, and that poses a threat to, I mean, uh, I'm not trying to pretend like we're as an essential, a business as like, uh, you know, a grocery store or a bookstore. I think you're seeing this in every single industry, but, uh, you know, I'll just say my industry, my job was not unaffected by it. Like it, it, it did trickle down that way. With, with you all sh- shifting to streaming content, I mean, obviously no one's a fortune teller and, and especially after last year, like it's kind of hard to make place bets. But do you anticipate that the sort of shift to more writing and covering streaming content is going to impact how you guys cover theatrical films, like in terms of priorities uh, in the future? I don't think so, uh, because something that was really interesting was that, you know, we did shift into covering a lot of streaming content. But something that became very clear based on our traffic was that just because something was released on streaming on a Friday didn't mean everyone was watching it that Friday. Didn't mean everyone was watching it that weekend. Didn't even mean everyone was watching it that month. Like when it comes to streaming, and and this is something we've been seeing a lot of, and uh, I talk a lot about with a lot of other people, is that because there is such a breadth of content to watch, it feels like no one is ever watching the same thing at the same time. And so, you know, uh, for example, a a movie like Palm Springs, you know, we had a lot of content to run and it didn't get this huge boost that it when it came out that we thought it might. And I think it's because people were a little, you know, they were watching it on their own time. They're like, oh, well, I'm in the middle of binging, you know, cursed on Netflix or I'm in the middle of watching this other movie or something. I'll get around to it eventually. And I think something you can't replace is that immediacy that a theatrical release brings. So something like. Uh, Black Widow or Avengers Endgame or even like a Mission Impossible movie. It's like, I want to go out. I'm going to spend $40, but I want to go see this big thing on the big screen as soon as I can. And I don't want to be spoiled. And I think that was a part of the brilliance of uh, the Avengers Endgame marketing was, you know, come before you get spoiled. Like you don't want to you don't want to spoil the secrets, which was a little bit of like, I mean, it was true, but it was also like, give us a big opening weekend box office. And they broke the record like they did it. Um, and good for them. But there is this kind of like, you are going to feel left out if you don't go to the movies this weekend. And that has, 
that has yet to be replicated on streaming as far as I've seen. There are there were definitely shows like I think The Queen's Gambit was massive. Like that was clearly something that everyone watched. They weren't necessarily watching it at exactly the same time, but within like a month they were watching it. I will say with with streaming shows, it seems to be like more people are on the same page a little bit. Um, But I can't recall a single like streaming movie release that had just this massive week, like opening weekend. I think maybe Extraction came a little close, the Chris Hemsworth one, because that was so early in the pandemic that like literally everyone was home. Um, And it was like, here's a new Chris Hemsworth action movie. And if you look at the Netflix top 10, that's always action movies and rom-coms and kids movies. Like that's all it is ever. Uh, If there's a Gerard Butler movie on Netflix, people will watch it. As we sort of look ahead uh, at, the new year, we're just the beginning of 2021. How do you feel like it's looking comparative to last year? Is it looking up about the same or do you really feel like it's going to be a different year for the work you're doing? Um, I, I honestly think it all depends on the vaccine rollout. I think it's looking more hopeful. Um, you know, February, March, April release dates are probably going to shift. I think we're going to see Bond is going to shift again. I think Black Widow might shift. I don't know. Um, I'm hoping by the end of May, uh, enough people will be vaccinated that theaters will have robust new releases uh, to tout and to bring people back to theaters. And it'll feel people will feel safer to go, at which point it will feel a bit more normal. I think a more permanent change we might see is um, links getting sent to critics. So in the before times, like with Black Widow or even Soul or something like that, uh, you know, critics would go to a theater to a press screening to see it. And me living in Tulsa, you know, Disney doesn't screen here. I would always have to wait until it came out uh, in the theater to go and pay and see it myself. And then I could talk about it. Um, every like in 2020, everyone got links to everything. So like I got a screener link to Soul. I watched it on my Apple TV and that was very easy. I think that may be a more permanent change. So I'll be curious to see how that affects how coverage changes. Um you know, it's a wider access, but also, you know, I think watching something in your living room with your lights on on your TV changes the experience versus watching it at a dark theater. Um, although my colleague uh, went to a press screening of Tenet with it was just five critics and they were all separated and it was in an IMAX theater. Um, but he was like, it was still bad. <laughs> like, I had been to a theater in like eight months and I still didn't like it. Um, but uh yeah, I don't know. I think that's a long I don't even know if I answered your question, but I think it I do think things will finally theaters will be back this year. I think it may be a little bit deeper into the summer than we had previously hoped, but I think theaters will be back and those big movies will be back. Um, I just don't know exactly when. Right, right. A lot, lots uncertain. And I will say on the on the screener note, um, it, it uh, I kind of like not having <sighs> I, as a big fan of physical media, I kind of like not receiving tons of uh, discs for movies I don't care to own ever. Um, so the digital links were, were, are kind of nice. I did. I don't know about you. Uh, you know, uh, both of us being members of the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle, one thing that stuck out to me that was interesting was that the most consistent uh, studio to send us hard copies of things was Netflix. <laughs> most consistent. I got whatever happened with the like mix up with the email or the addresses happened to me. So I got no Netflix, but I got a ton of Amazon and I was like, I have Amazon. I don't need Amazon DVDs. Like I, I can stream this anytime I want. It's just very strange that the, uh, the ones that are all about streaming are the ones sending all the discs yeah, versus the ones that send yeah. the discs. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is that, like so many other Oscar hopefuls just got delayed. They got pushed to 2021 too. So it was just a, 
a smaller field of contenders. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, if, uh, I, before we move into, you know, I think mo- the more maybe the more fun part of today's conversation, I did want to get your take, you know, thinking about like movie theaters coming back, Warner Brothers slash AT&T making the really bold and uh, arguably reckless decision to open all their movies day and date and theaters on streaming. Do you see that in any way impacting how you talk about, you know, films at Collider? Um, I don't think it impacts how we talk about them. Um, hopefully more people will see them. We have seen um significantly increased traffic on our HBO Max uh like curated list of like best movies on HBO Max since Wonder Woman came out, which tells me that more people signed up for HBO Max. Um so we can kind of use that to track how many people are looking at any particular streaming service. Uh I think that decision makes sense for the first six months of the year, you know, especially with the uncertainty of the vaccine. I personally think they should have told all the filmmakers before they just announced it. I think that that is incredibly uh, an incredibly valid concern. I also don't see why Dune, which is opening in October, needs to go straight to HBO Max. I mean, I would hope, you know, God forbid, but something would have to go terribly wrong for us not to be in a much better place by October. Um, So I don't I don't I I still have a feeling that that's going to change, that they're going to be like, oh, OK, we goofed. Um, never mind. Um, I think, honestly, what NBC Universal is doing probably makes the most sense. And I think that's probably what you're going to see most other uh, studios do, which is um, NBC Universal will release a movie in theaters. And if I think it's if the opening weekend or maybe it's the first two weekends are the, if the box office is above a certain threshold, then it will not go to streaming for 60 days or like maybe it's 45 days or something. Um, but if it doesn't reach that threshold, it will be on Peacock or whatever streaming service in 30 days. So you give theaters a one month exclusive window. And then after that, it'll be on streaming, which I think makes more sense. Like I, you know, I've talked to my coworker, Matt, about this on our podcast and and privately a lot. Like I just like. I don't we didn't sit at our homes watching movies last year because we wanted to like I cannot think of something I want to do less than watch Godzilla versus Kong and Dune and whatever in my living room. Like, I just want to go back to the movies again. I don't I don't want to stay home anymore. So I think people will want to go back to the theaters. I. Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty short-sighted decision to make to do that day and date thing with HBO Max through for the entire year. I don't think that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And I know Disney's done uh, another, I would say maybe more agile strategy where they're sort of just testing the waters with a bunch of different stuff. Whether it's the Mulan approach of charging people extra money, which I think they were doing for another release earlier this year, or early this yeah, year. Yeah, they're doing it for the new Disney animated film Raya and the Last Dragon, which comes out in March. But like, if you like, they definitely announced a lot of stuff that's coming to Disney Plus. But if you look closely. Black Widow is exclusive in theaters. Um, you know, all of their big, big, big movies are exclusive in theaters. They're not abandoning the, the theatrical exhibition. So, and I'll, like the, you know, Steven Soderbergh says this, nothing, there's nothing that can replace the profit you can get from a billion dollar grossing movie. Like that box office is unique. You cannot get that on streaming. You can't get it on PVOD rentals. You can't get it anywhere else other than putting a movie in theaters and betting big. So, you know, if Warner Brothers spends $60, $60 million on Joker and makes a billion dollars, that profit, there's no other like revenue stream you can get that kind of profit from. 
I think they're they're being short sighted in some of these decisions, and I do think these decisions are coming from the top down. Like I think it's AT and T, not necessarily Warner Brothers, that made that HBO Max decision. That was very clearly a, um, you know, if you watch Thirty Rock, it, it was very clearly like a corporate decision of kind of meddling in in the creative and not really understanding how it works. Um, so I'm hopeful that you know uh, other studios will be like, yeah, we're we're sticking with theaters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I got to say, it really resonates with you. I, I actually, it, it, in, a, in a strange turn of events, uh, I was actually saddened to see that Kong uh, Godzilla versus King Kong just yesterday had been pushed up by like two months. And I was like, I, I would rather not uh, have the temptation to watch it in my living room because I want to see it. But it's also not good. Like you said, it's not going to be the same as seeing it on IMAX screen with a full audience. I, I Very few things, I think, to your point can replace seeing a star Wars movie at like one of those first showings yeah. or, or the Avengers in game. Um, like it, it's like a sporting event, but with movies and, um, that you just, yeah, it's not present in the, in the living room for sure. Or even something like I remember seeing drive Nicholas winding reference film in a packed theater and everyone hated it because they thought it was going to be like a thriller and that's fun. Like it was kind of like, I loved it, but it was just funny to, I just, I, I found it very funny that all these people got duped into seeing this, you know, John Hughesian, like a tour driven art movie that they thought was going to be like a heist thriller. Uh, drive is a is a is a true like gem of cinema and and that does include the theater going experiences uh had a, ah, oh let's uh, another podcast topic but uh all right well let's uh adam i've uh i've asked you just like three different movies that helped you get through this uh especially challenging last year and i'm really excited to hear what you pick and uh you know if you want to rank these one to three you can but i you know i didn't put the request any particular order um so let's just start with your first movie what is the first film that got you through the 2020 pandemic uh the first one i've chosen and they're unranked uh, um would be palm springs uh which is actually a movie i saw in a theater because i saw it at sundance at the beginning of 2020 it's gonna be a beautiful wedding i don't think that we met i'm sarah niles Beautiful wedding. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. The second you fall asleep, it all just goes back to the start. Well, then what's the point of living? We kind of have no choice but to live. No, I'm gonna get out of this. See you tomorrow. Um, I went in not knowing anything other than there was a, it was an Andy Samberg movie that had a twist, uh, and I was a huge fan of Andy Samberg. Um, and that was a really great theatrical experience. And I'm very upset that that was kind of robbed from people, um, from later this year, but little did I know how prescient that movie would be or how fitting it would be, uh, when it was released, uh, later this year on streaming, because it is a time loop movie. It is a, a film about people living the same day over and over and over again. Um, but I think it's also, you know, a film about the importance of like not going through it alone, like finding a buddy to live life with and how how much easier it is and, and better it is to live life with a buddy. Um, I also just like that it's a, it's kind of like the anti LOL nothing matters movie. Like it's just like an anti nihilism thing of like you can go through life saying nothing matters. You can go through life being like, yeah, whatever. But like it's you miss a lot of life's beauty and uh, smaller moments when you do that. Um, I also just think it's tremendously funny and, and original and thoughtful. Uh, it was my number one movie of the year last year. And um, I don't know. I, I adore that film. 
Yeah, you know, it's a it's a great pick, and I, I really like how you highlight it's about going through you know a time loop with a with a friend. Every day seems the same, but you know the thing that sticks out are those handful of people that you see in whatever context, whether it's your romantic partner or your wife, uh, best friend or whatever, however people have been able to do that. It really resonated when it hit uh, streaming in July. And I also think that while it is a familiar formula in the sense that it's Groundhog Day, uh, I mean, it seems like the the addition of adding that extra person really makes it its own story. Is is, is this a movie that you expect to, to stick with you in the months and years ahead? Yeah, and it's one that, uh, you know, I don't know if Hulu does Criterion or something, but I want to have a physical copy of it. Um, I have a DVD from our award screeners that we got, um, but I would love to have a Blu-ray of it. And like, it's just one that I, I, you know, again, I saw it at Sundance and then I watched it again. And I think it was even better the second time. Like you, you find a lot of really smart moments throughout that are um, not only kind of hinting towards the plot and like, it makes more sense once it goes along. But also just thematically, I think it resonates even deeper the second time you watch it, kind of knowing where it ends and knowing where it's going. Um, but yeah, it's it's one that I'm glad it's on Hulu because it's like widely available for people to watch. Uh, and it's one I, you know, I'm a huge fan of that Lonely Island, like SNL comedy. So like I go back to MacGruber and Popstar all the time. I watch those movies. Those are like my feel good movies. So I, I think this one uh, is definitely going to join those ranks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I think I definitely have seen more people talking about Palm Springs than either of those other two films. And I, I think those other two films are great. But I think just the fact that it came during the pandemic on Hulu, it was super easy for for me to like recommend that one particular to like tons of people, right? Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, it has a little little higher impact than maybe those other two, um, which I think are also awesome, awesome movies. I think it also so. benefits in that like Krista Milioti's character, like you could have. So, so often in these films, the female lead is like the nag or like the one who's going to get the guy to like straighten his life out. And she's allowed to be messy and she's allowed to be goofy and she's allowed to be silly and weird and strange, just like all of these male leads are like, you know, you think of Will Forte and McGruber, Andy Samberg and Popstar. They're brilliant. They're wonderful. Um, I love that it like this is very much a a full on two hander, like both characters are messy and complicated both characters are going through stuff that they have to kind of help each other figure out. Um, so I really appreciated that part of it too. Right. And it's only by learning to live slash work together that they're able to grow. Yeah. Exactly. Beautiful character arcs. Uh, but let's, let's go on to your second film. What is your next selection for today? Uh, so my next one comes from Steve McQueen's small acts anthology on Amazon. Uh, and there was some debate over whether these are films or not, but uh, it's lovers rock. The Small Axe Anthology Collection, Steve McQueen is the director behind 12 Years a Slave and Widows, which is tremendous, and Hunger and Shame. Um, he made a collection of five films for Amazon uh, that all take place in the West Indian community in uh, Britain and the UK um, throughout, like, I think it's from like the 60s up through, uh, I can't remember which decade it, it ends in, but it's not like 
it's not like they're connected by like characters or anything, but they're connected by themes. It's all about kind of immersing you in this community that has been maligned. Um, but lovers rock is this like deeply soulful piece about it kind of immerses you in this community. So like, it doesn't really have a ton of plot or character lover. The entire conceit of lovers rock is it takes place, I think in 1980. Um, and it's just a house party. Like it's a house party put on by members of the West Indies community. And music is playing from start to finish in the film. Um, and the camera just kind of like moves through as these people are dancing together and, you know, eating their own food and talking about their own culture and just kind of feeling free. And there are these brief moments where the outside world pops in and kind of reminds you that this is a community that doesn't feel free to um, express their full selves in, you know, the more white driven communities of where they work or, you know, where they live. Um, but I think the way, like, it's just a really joyous, like empathetic, compassionate movie about community. Like the way the camera just kind of like immerses you in this world lets you kind of, even though I, like, I know very little about the West Indian community, um, and about their culture, you, it provides kind of like this path towards empathy of like, okay, like I fully understand this. I fully understand the, the, that feeling of like being yourself and feeling protected and feeling like you have the room and the space to like, just relax and breathe and express yourself. But, you know, number one community, like, and this was a theme in my entire top 10 list for 2020 was like films about the importance of like people and community and friendship. Uh, I think it resonated, especially in a time when we've all been so separated from each other. Um, just watching, you know, the stars of the movie are people's hands and faces and arms and legs and torsos like the, the camera, like just really captures this stuff really beautifully in that film. Yeah, and I think uh, Lovers Rock's a, a great pick. And again, uh, the, the the Small Axe series, I think, is um, was a really unique experiment. Adam, I'm just curious, and you don't need to start any fights here. I don't really have a strong opinion on it. Well, actually, I do. But like, did, where do you land on this de- this debate? I guess films, miniseries. What do you think? I think they're films. Is is how I feel. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. the entire justification behind putting them out on television from Steve McQueen's side is. So Steve McQueen ex- explained that he he wanted to tell these people's story before these people had died, like before these ancestors, these ancestors of his and, and friends of his were dead. And he also wanted his mother to be able to watch this on television. So it was made for BBC so that it was just widely distributed. Like You didn't have to go to a theater to see this or that. Um so that was the entire term. It wasn't even about like long form storytelling or like, Oh, I want to tell a story over six hours. It's not a six hour film or anything like that. The, you know, the movies vary in length. The first mangrove is over two hours long. Um, and lovers rock, I think is like 55 minutes long, somewhere around there. Um, so they vary in length, but uh, to me, they're disparate feature films. Like they each have a beginning, middle and end, and they're not connected in any way other than the, they just take place in the same community. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I echo you're in good company here because I also, uh, I mean, yeah, one of them, a couple of them are a little shorter, but they really are cinematic. I mean, he doesn't, I don't feel like he does things that much differently than he would have if it had played on the big screen. Um, and and I think all five of them are tremendous works. So, uh, check those out listeners. Uh, they're all on Amazon. They are very much worth your time. Let's move on to the final film that you selected today. What is the, the last movie that comes to mind when you think about a movie that got you through a year full of unprecedented times? 
So it's uh, maybe a cheat, but it's a trilogy of films and it's a trilogy of films that I do not like. They are bad movies. And it is the Hobbit trilogy. Far to the east, over ranges and rivers, lies a single solitary peak. The dwarves are determined to reclaim their homeland. I like visitors as much as the next Hobbit. But I do like to know them before they come visiting. I'm surrounded by dwarves. What are they doing here? So, this is the Hobbit. You asked me to find the 14th member of this company, and I have chosen Mr. Baggins. And me? No, 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 no. Seize this chance to take back Erebor! I'm going on an adventure! Why the halfling? It is because I'm afraid. It gives me courage. So this is your purpose, to enter the mountain. There are some who would not deem it wise. Why don't we have a game of riddles? If Baggins loses, we eat it whole. Fair enough. I picked it because, and we were talking about this before we recorded, so uh, they released the Hobbit trilogy and the Lord of the Rings trilogy on 4K this year. Um, and I got a copy of the Hobbit trilogy to review on 4K for Collider. And I just like, this was in November. So like the world was really scary and like things were just really stressful, but like just sitting down and I watched the extended versions of these and just like being immersed in this world and finally like having something to like discuss. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think they're not good movies. I think Peter Jackson went overboard with the CG. I think he stretched out too short of a story over, uh, you know, too long of a time frame. But I like I I had like for the first time in the year had like recaptured that feeling of like falling into a world and then wanting to discuss it heavily. Um, and that's what I did. We did a whole podcast on The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings trilogies. Um, but I spent an entire weekend binging the entire trilogy and it was just like a really fun distraction. And I think that's something that movies can provide. You don't have to. And that's something that I've like vacillated between in 2020 was that, you know, some of the year I felt pressure to like catch up on movies I had never seen before in older films. So I would watch like, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s, which I had never seen. Um, but sometimes you just want to watch something silly or dumb or uh, like kind of airy. But that, you know, because that's what you want right then. And that was the Hobbit trilogy for me. It was it was just kind of, uh, you know, these big, epic, giant production scale movies that I had not seen. I had only ever seen them once and I didn't like them. So it was fun to kind of revisit them and give them another shot. Um, but yeah, that, uh, you know, that was at least a very welcome distraction. Yeah, I'm curious uh, to clarify. Did you watch the full extended version? Because I believe it came with the full extended versions on the the new 4K set. Yeah, so the 4K is the theatrical and extended. I had never seen the extended, so I watched the extended of all three of them. <laughs> and I immediately, when I got them, uh, texted my coworker who was reviewing the Lord of the Rings 4K. I texted him the running time of uh, the an unexpected journey, which I think the extended edition is uh, like three and a half hours or something. I just said I've made a huge mistake, <laughs> but. But, you know, it was it was fun. And, you know, those those movies, I noticed a lot of people watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy over the holidays. Yeah. It's become kind of a tradition for a lot of people. Um, and we watched Fellowship of the Ring recently, the theatrical edition. Um, and just the world building in those films is is really tremendous. Even The Hobbit. Um, although, you know, again, you can definitely draw a clear line from uh, George Lucas to Peter Jackson in terms of like, Oh, finally, this motion capture technology and, you know, the visual effects wizardry allows me to do everything that I want versus having to compromise and, you know, 
use real live actors and stuff like that, um, which kind of is what makes the Lord of the Rings trilogy special, I think. There's some, and, and again, I don't know all the behind the scenes details because it's been a minute since I've kind of looked at that, but I even remember the the Hobbit movies they had, they they actually had filmed in some scenes like live action orcs that they then went back and CGI'd over, which is just yeah. a, a wild choice. Yes, yes, they definitely did that. There's like a main character, uh, one of the main orc characters. They filmed him in live action and he appears in the extended edition. He's really grotesque and scary, like the uruk in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And then they just entirely painted him CG. And, you know, Bat and I did uh, a podcast on this and we were talking about like, and I've been reading a, a book about the making of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And like those films also went through huge changes. Like Arwen was at Helm's Deep, like Liv Tyler spent weeks shooting scenes at the Battle of Helm's wow. Deep and they cut her out. They just removed her from the battle. And the movie's great. Like it, you know, it works. It's a smart decision. But there's stuff like that all over the Lord of the Rings trilogy where, you know, they were changing this here or removing his character here. That famous scene of Gollum, you know, talking to himself, Gollum and Smeagol. That was a reshoot. That was, you know, Peter Jackson didn't have time to do it. So his partner, Fran Walsh, wrote it and directed it herself um, as like, we need something to tell the audience kind of what's going on here. And it's the most iconic moment in the entire trilogy. So that there was invention on Lord of the Rings. I think the problem with The Hobbit is, uh, again, like the tools allowing you to do literally whatever you want. And you see it in King Kong as well, I think. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I digress. Like, see, it's fun to talk about this. We're not thinking about the world. That's scary. So... Middle Earth is a really just um, intoxicating is not the right word, but like a whimsical place to go to, you know, and it is an escape. And I would say even in the Hobbit films, having not seen them recently, there is still a lot of that charm of just the world that you're able to live in during that time, even if the the story and uh, the characters aren't quite as uh, as tightly put together as maybe the Lord of the Rings. Well, I'll fully admit I fell asleep in the theater watching Desolation of Smog. And I'm like a massive Lord of the Rings fan. So even when I saw these Hobbit movies in theaters, I was like, oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> but there's something yeah. about like watching it on your couch, spending an entire Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, watching Hobbit movies. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is kind of nice. Now, that's a great pick. And uh, listeners, I'm going to I'll link in the show notes um, the kind of in-depth conversation you did on both uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbits trilogies in the in the show notes. So I, I listened to that one a couple weeks back. Check it out. Highly recommend. Uh, it definitely has me really eager to revisit Lord of the Rings in particular, but probably the Hobbit as well. Uh, fun fact, uh, t- we're in 2021. The Fellowship of the Ring turns 20 this year. So uh, hard to believe. It's a big gift for Lord of the Rings. All right, Adam. So... Thank you for sharing those three different selections for you. I am going to, for our final piece, before we we begin closing out, have a rapid fire round. For 90 seconds, I'd like for you to list off just rapid fire any other films, TV shows, could be books, video games, comic books, any other media that really stuck with you this year or at least help you get through parts of the year. Oh, gosh. I will try my best. Love it. You ready? I'm ready. Adam, we are starting this clock now. Uh, community. I rewatched the entire series and I had never seen the final season. So, uh, I watched all that community was terrific. Um, I watched a lot of TV. I'm in the middle of binging halt and catch fire, which I started in 2020 and absolutely love. Uh, I'm mad at myself for not watching it when it was on television. Um, Emma, the autumn to wild film, uh, I think is just a really sumptuous piece of cinema. Um, Bridgerton on Netflix, super like, soapy super horny like just like kind of good trash that you want to watch whenever you want uh that's been fun 
Um, the Haunting of Bly Manor, I adored. Um, I think Mike Flanagan is a genius. Uh, God, what else did I watch? Uh, started What We Do in the Shadows. Enjoyed that. Um, was Devs 2020? I can't remember. Yes, Devs was 2020. Yeah, Devs was uh, a mind bender. Um, that was pretty cool. Um, God, now I'm blanking. In the middle of binging Parks and Rec for like the 18th time, but during that. Um, oh my God. 15 seconds. I'm trying to remember. Um, gosh, yeah, I'm blanking. I can't, you know, it, it was kind of a blur of everything that I've been watching. Watched a lot of true crime docuseries that were fine. I'm not put you on the spot any longer. Good job. I think those are all really great selections. Uh, also just finished Halt and Catch Fire last night. So listeners, he's not joking. Seriously, people check it out. It's so good. Adam, thanks so much for taking some time to just chat with me a little bit. We're recording this on a Saturday, so t- taking some valuable Saturday time to talk with me about movies and just kind of what was getting you through last year. Uh, where can people keep up with you and your work online? Uh, I'm writing every day on Collider.com, uh, and I'm on Twitter at, at Adam Chitwood. And is there anything else you'd like to leave listeners with before we close out? Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add about these three films, or is there any way that our listeners can best support the work you're doing over at Collider? Uh, just read and yell at me on Twitter. That seems to be what everyone else does. So go for that. <laughs> yell very nice things, please, people. Very nice. Yeah, we need well, nice people mind. on Twitter it's, these I, days. I've been doing this for 10 years, so it, it really doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, I reposted my ranking of the Star Wars films in December, and I knew I was asking for it, but uh, it came very quickly. So. Very nice. Part of the job description, I guess one could say. Uh, get yelled at on Twitter there. Uh, All right, Adam. Well, it's been great talking uh, with you today. Adam Chitwood, managing editor at Collider and co-host of the Collider podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for joining the Cinematic Schematic today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the fifth part of our series on three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic with special guest Adam Chitwood. Stay tuned to hear who we'll be talking with next week. If you would like to participate and be heard as a part of this series, I hope you'll consider sending us your three films that got you through the 2020 pandemic to our email address, thecinematropolis at gmail.com. You can send us your picks and have a chance to have them read on the show. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, I also encourage you to please rate the podcast and subscribe via your preferred podcast app. You can also follow all of our work at The Cinematropolis by following us on Twitter at The Cinematrop or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Cinematropolis. And lastly, you can find more of my work by following me on Twitter at CMasterstalk. That is letter C, Masters Talk. Join me next week when I talk with writer, filmmaker, and host of the Hardcourt Honeys podcast, Shay Vassar. I'll talk with Shay about her three film selections, as well as how the pandemic impacted her line of work as a freelance entertainment writer. You won't want to miss it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next time.